You're listening to The Zeitcast, a podcast with Jonathan Martin that aims to speak to the spirit of the moment we're in. Thank you for joining us today. This is Joel, producer here at the Zycast, and I am so thankful to be back with you and excited about the episode we're going to be sharing today. I'm especially excited about the fact that it's going to um, be landing in your podcast feeds somewhere in the midst of Holy Week, and that just feels like exactly the right time for... um, an incredible and pertinent conversation such as this um, to be available to you. In today's episode, Jonathan is in conversation with um, Kurt Willems, who is a a wonderful pastor and speaker, um, author, and they really spend quite a bit of time focusing on the topic of Kurt's newest book, Echoing Hope, which really focuses in on, as the subtitle explains, the humanity of Jesus and how that redeems our pain. And I can't think of a better moment um, for this book to be hitting the shelves and, and hopefully finding its way into your hands and your hearts uh, than this season in which so many people have been wrestling with pain from so many different directions. And as we walk through this Lenten journey together, if that is um, the the tradition or the path that you find yourself on, um, it is a moment in which we embrace what it means for that process of transformation where death leads its way to resurrection. And I'm grateful uh, Kurt has... Um, I'm sure somebody who's not new to many of you, uh, both as a podcaster and he's very active on uh, social media. I know I follow him and really enjoy hearing what he has to say as he shares. So friends, I won't say anything more other than I know you're going to love this conversation with Jonathan and Kurt Willems. And please make sure to find his newest book, follow him on social media, and you will not be sorry, I promise you. Uh, In addition, please take time to like, share, and review the podcast, and thank you for doing so. Thank you for your support. Again, we couldn't do what we do without you. And you are a gift, and it's such a gift to be part of this wonderful Zeitcast community. So, without any further ado, welcome back to the Zeitcast.
Well, welcome back to the Zeitcast. I have been so looking forward to this particular conversation uh, because, first of all, I feel like this is long overdue. Uh, I, I, I really should have had Kurt Willems on the podcast a long time ago because I think he's fantastic. I uh, love his work and witness, but I especially love his new book, which is coming out. Well, we're recording. I should be coming out right about now. Uh, Echoing Hope, How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. Uh, I had the opportunity, uh, the privilege really of being able to read it in advance, and I am just crazy about it. Uh, But Kurt is just a great thinker and writer, one of those voices out there that I've always just felt a deep sense of resonance with. Uh, he's also a pastor in Seattle and, um, well, a number of things that I want to say, but maybe before I jump, uh, I jump ahead any further, and this might be, would feel pretentious otherwise, but since it's my podcast, I actually <laughs> thought it might even make sense to read what I wrote about his book and endorsing it because I love this book so much. So what I had said is that uh, Kurt Williams has given us a rare gift, a beautifully written account of Christ's humanity that is also a tender, vulnerable account of his own. This brave book gives us permission to be fully human, both in the most fragile and most high holy senses of the word in all the ways Jesus was and told us that we could be. To read Echoing Hope is not only to go deeper into the Christ story, but to go deeper into your own. It is truly a lovely book, and Kurt is a lovely person, and I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome, Kurt. What a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, hey, it's my pleasure, and that is an introduction if I've ever had one. So, I mean, all I needed beyond that was some, like, really big music, man. I mean, that was, that's beautiful. So. <laughs> we'll, we'll go, Joe will add the music after. He's a, all right, there he's, we go. He's, he's great with that. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. That's good. Thank it's you. so good talking you. to you. You doing okay? Yeah, yeah, man. I'm doing well. You know, it's been it's been a year, like everyone. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's definitely been a year with uh, a bunch of highs and lows and everything in between. But I'm I'm doing well. You know, our family here in Seattle, we've gotten into a COVID rhythm, which is it's tiresome. You know, we're we're ready for the new thing. We're ready for the resurrection thing. And we're moving towards Easter, and you know, so we're starting to feel some of those uh, possibilities emerge. I think, but. Yeah, you know, we've had to navigate. I've got a seven and a half year old in one room on an iPad doing school. I've got my wife, who's a special ed teacher, doing school on another screen. I'm in my office doing my thing, you know, and our toddlers at daycare four days a week. We're just Mm. figuring it out as we go. But, um, you know, all in all, it is a good season. And um, yeah, it's a it's a weird season because I've thought about writing a book for a long time. And here I am talking to you about the fact that I did. And that's super exciting and scary and all of those things. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a um, an interesting year where I've had to hold a lot of joy and a lot of sorrow all at the same time. Well, and I love that you said it that way. First, I love that everything about the scene at your house right now. I'm like, this is a very 21st century life. This is very descriptive of the moment. But when you talk about holding a lot of joy and a lot of sorrow, I mean, I I feel like that's that's so much what's happening in your book is there's a lot of joy and a lot of sorrow. Um, and, and maybe just to kind of start at the ground floor, I'd love to know what even 
what was stirring in you from the beginning? Because, you know, I, I feel like I've written, a, a, a written <laughs> I have not written a lot of books about Jesus. I've read <laughs> a lot of books about Jesus. I feel like it's hard. They're, they're hard to get right. There are not a lot of books about Jesus that I love. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for that is that, well, and not just books, movies, almost any sort of popular interpretation mm-hmm. of the life of Jesus, it, it feels like the humanity of Jesus is either absent altogether. Um, maybe it's, or, or you get glimpses, but you rarely, it, it's, it's pretty rare really that I feel like the humanity of Jesus is explored seriously. Certainly that I feel like it's explored seriously from a faith perspective, um, from a faith leader. What made you even want to write specifically about the humanity of Jesus? Oh man. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I wasn't even going to go there at first. You know, I've, I've got a folder on my computer with like 30 book ideas that I'll never write. You know, mm. I'm like, I'm, I'm one of those people who gets a thought. It captures me. Maybe it becomes a sermon series or a blog or something. Um, and then I, I start to work with it and play with it. And over and over again, it was like, yeah, but no, yeah, but no. Eventually, honestly, I thought my first book would be on Paul. I mean, that's where I've spent a lot of my academic life was right. in Paul stuff. And I um, eventually like realized, wait a second, I don't have to be pigeonholed just because I've been talking about Paul so so much in the last yeah. few years, you know? And so I I uh, I kind of was just sitting with, okay, where where's my creativity going and where's the spirit taking me? And it always comes back to Jesus for me. Mm. It always does, you know, like Jesus is the center of why I stay Christian. Jesus is the anchor, you know? And so I, I, man, I found myself completely enamored with the idea. And this has been an ongoing learning process for over a decade, probably now, but uh, with the idea that Jesus, as to use your language, right, is the prototype. Mm. Jesus is the model. Jesus is the image of God that we're all invited to become like. And and so I, I started really holding that probably about two or three years ago and saying, okay, can, is there something here that would invite people into more formation, more transformation. You know, I, I always want to try and invite people beyond their head into their the depths, you know, if I can. And and so I, I finally came up with this idea. The book was going to be called Human Like Jesus, which is like chapter mm. three is the title, you know. And and I was fired up about it. Some of the actually all of all of the parts that were in that initial book proposal, we sent it out to a few people. Um, this human like Jesus idea, like most of that actually is an echoing hope. It just got retranslated and reimagined in a lot of ways, but it was like, okay, if Jesus shows us how to be human, Mm. there's gotta be all this practical stuff that we can learn from Jesus, you know? And, And so why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we step in and notice the way that his humanity is the primary place from which he lives his life, even though, of course, he's God in the flesh. And so, so I started just processing that and, um, you know, grabbing from old sermons and different things. And, and finally, I was like, this is it. Hmm. We, we did take that to a couple of publishers. And the feedback we got was, we love your emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. We even love how you write. Like, you're, you're great. You know, I was like, oh, that's super nice. Then the other half came, you know, hmm. and the other half was... 
but the average reader is probably going to, you know, enjoy the content, but what's drawing them to it? Like what's, what, what is it about the humanity of Jesus that is compelling? And so I, I went away from those meetings like, ah, dude, this sucks. You know, like I thought I was going to finally do the book thing. I thought it was finally like my turn or whatever. And, um, sat and prayed and got over that. And finally, as I was sitting with that for, I don't remember quite how long it was, but it was like a moment happened where I'm sitting at my desk. I'm sitting with my outline of the book and all of a sudden it just hit me, man, humanity, like, like we all get as human beings, we get suffering, we get pain, we get like the junk. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely both confounding and I think absolutely compelling that in Jesus, you have God becoming human to show us how to be human. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, what does he do? Well, he suffers as bad, if not worse than many of us. And so um, if Jesus isn't exempt from suffering, if Jesus is that human, then I want to learn what it means to step into brokenness in a different way. And how else will I do that without really taking his human nature uh, as seriously as I think the New Testament takes it? Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that that becomes like the primary intersection of the book is that uh, it, it's ta- it, the kind of the lens through talking about the humanity of Jesus is mm-hmm. through our suffering through our pain. You write so vulnerably about some of your own suffering yeah. and pain. Uh, there, there are a lot of things I want to ask about that really, but you know, I, I'm, I'm curious, Kurt, because, and I don't know what your experience is. I mean, I feel like right now, um, and it's interesting how much I feel like things are kind of shifting in this direction because I feel like, you know, so many people, of course, that we know, have experienced such significant um, hurt, pain at the hands of the church. And maybe mm-hmm. I feel like somehow, and I, and I literally have no judgment about this whatsoever, but I feel like more people in my life than ever before are specifically wrestling at this point with what to do with Jesus. I mean, like I mean, yeah. like the time in which a lot of people that I knew were like, well, you know, it's, I know I feel this way about the church, but there's still some kind of sentimentality or nostalgia for Jesus. I think a lot of people I know are at this point really wrestling with whether or not to, to cling to Jesus. So it's just, I find it especially interesting. This book is coming out when it does. I mean, is that, is that a sense like in your context as well, that a lot of people are trying mm-hmm. to figure out specifically, not just what to do with the church, but what to do with Jesus precisely yeah. because of, of the extent of their own pain suffering. Oh man, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think this is something that is going to be happening. You know, this isn't going away. This, this curiosity about Jesus, but also this sort of like, yeah, church is wounding. Christians don't seem to line up with my values, at least some of the public facing ones. Um, and then there's Jesus. I like Jesus, but if his, if, if these leaders, these people that I looked up to my whole life are acting like A, B, and C, maybe the whole Jesus thing is kind of a myth too. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's not something that really I need to take as, um, you know, deeply personal, deeply relational, but I can appreciate those roots. There's some values there, but I'm moving on. Mm. And, and so part of my motivation for this book beyond just like 
hey, if you're following Jesus, you have pain, I have pain. Jesus can show us how, how redemption is possible in pain is, is this other angle that's really uh, a deep passion of mine is I wanted to cast a vision for Jesus, you know, in the mm. big sense. And so, as you know, I go from birth to resurrection and I spend most of the book trying to help people capture like there is a Jesus and he's different than he's often cast, yeah. you know? And so I, I do talk about some of the edgier topics maybe with Jesus, uh, you know, um, I don't know very many books that synthesize a lot of these, I mean, I think deeply impactful things I see in Jesus in the New Testament. You know, I, I just don't, I haven't seen it very often, kind of like you were alluding to. And so I said, man, if I could help people walk through their pain. And if I could somehow create this manifesto, so to speak, of here's the life of Jesus 101 or 201, you know, what would it look like to take him seriously? Whether you're convinced of the Jesus thing or not, here's how he's presented. Let's walk that through, you know, and my hope would definitely be that someone who's struggling uh, with those questions, those doubts, which I'm, I'm the same boat as you, like I, I would never fault someone for wrestling with really hard questions, trauma, you know, church drama, all the stuff that comes. And, and my hope is maybe this could help some people reimagine just how good, just how gracious, just how radical the way of Jesus and Jesus the person really is. I think the the way that you write about Jesus' relationship with suffering and Jesus' relationship with your own suffering again, as you write uh, so vulnerably, it's well, it's it's interesting to me because I feel like you know, on the one hand, um, I feel like the way that Christians uh, historically, well, especially in more like evangelical settings, have often talked about mm -hmm. suffering. Uh, and handling in terms of like some form of apologetics or something, some kind of rationalistic way of trying to reckon with why bad things happen in the world. I don't, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's not my sense in the book that you necessarily are trying to say that every traumatic or horrible thing that happens in the world has some kind of like immediate sense of meaning to it, like or like yeah. somehow divinely orchestrated as part of some plan. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, and I think we we as uh, Christian leaders and people who have um, platforms in this, like you know, and I, I'm speaking to generally here, uh, we've got to get better at helping people see that. You know, um, for me. 
one of the most redemptive things about my childhood is recognizing, and you know, folks who don't know, I talk about child abuse quite a bit at various points in the book. Um, uh, for me, one of the most redemptive things is really recognizing God didn't want that for me. Yeah. God actually loathed and wept over those moments of suffering that I experienced, you know, and, and that reframe, you know, and there was a time in my life where I, I believed something like, you know, God, um, you know, God didn't necessarily like God's ideal will wasn't that I would suffer, but God put me in that situation so that I would become the kind of person who can help people who have been hurt, you know, and there's this sort of like way of tying it up with a neat bow. God was with me then God grew me through that so that I could become this kind of person who cares more, who loves more, you know, whatever that might be. And I think that framing can be helpful for some people for a season, but I find that it, it lacks, especially in moments of pain. When someone says, hey, but God's got a plan or, or it's all part of God's plan, maybe even that, right? I, I'm just like, well, Yes, but no. I mean, God's certainly on a mission to gather up all things in Christ and restore the cosmos someday. Like, I, I believe that's going to happen. But there's this other sense in which God is like, man, God doesn't want this bad stuff happening. And there's this web of reality that we find ourselves in where there's free will all over the place. And you get enough free will intersecting with each other. And God either has to violate all kinds of free will or, you know, um, in, you know, de choose the path of empathy with us in our suffering rather than always being a quick fix genie. And um, so, no, I, I am thoroughly convinced that bad things happen and God hates it. Mm. I'm thoroughly convinced that God is so gracious that when bad things happen, where free will offers a path, God steps in with all the influence, all the resources possible and says, I can salvage something here though. I didn't want this for you, but let's salvage something together. Let's, let's actually bend this thing backwards towards good, even though nothing about the incident was good. Mm. And that I do find redemption in, that I do find peace in, but I do not believe with any ounce of my being anymore that God on a regular basis is either allowing suffering in the sense of causing it or even like incorporating it because of some greater good. You know, the whole like so-and-so had to die because at the funeral, this pastor preached and this other person got saved. Like, no, like that, that doesn't work. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is all empathy, all solidarity. And when things go wrong, um, we, we get to experience God's mercy and love, but man, not always will we actually experience God's uh, miraculous intervention. It didn't even work that way for Jesus. Jesus had to endure. So, so yeah, I, I really try to invite people to consider that. And, and you know what, there's room for people in the book who aren't comfortable with those theological questions that I raise, you know, because there's, there's more to it than that, but that's definitely a foundational space. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love that, that that it leaves room for that kind of ambiguity and to uh, well, because I don't know, I just uh, spending a lot of time in the Book of Job in the last few years, and I think one of the things I came to there was that you know, like part of what happens with Job's friends, it's not just that 
their explanations fall short. But I think one of the things we're supposed to get from the book of Job is that there actually is no rationalistic explanation. Yeah, right? there's, yeah. No, there's just no words, mm-hmm. truly. That, uh, there's oh, nothing, there's so just good. places that, you know, that words don't, don't reach in that way. And the idea of Jesus is the one um, who fully enters into our pain in this way. Um, well, and yet at the yeah. same time, I feel like even beyond like suffering, there's an image, there, this, this whole idea of Jesus being human in the book, I feel like one of the things that you do is you're, you're recapturing something of even the word human, because we, human often becomes for us, and certainly in religious circles, uh, more fundamental mm-hmm. circles, like a, a shorthand way of talking about our foibles. Well, I'm only human. Whereas I feel like you want to gesture towards the idea of human as being a much a higher word, a holier word. So I'd love mm-hmm. for you to speak to that a little bit, like we're kind of recapturing a fuller sense of what it is to be human and what it means to say that Jesus is human. Oh, yeah. And that is definitely a huge, I mean, man, we have messed this up in Christianity, right? This whole flesh versus spirit thing yeah. that we've sort of misinterpreted, you know, when we've made flesh means I have a body that's bad. Yeah. That, that is so not the picture we have in the Bible. Like it's just not there. And we, we imagine, you know, I often make this joke at church, like that the end game is that when I die, I get to be like Casper, the friendly ghost and eventually make, make it to heaven, you know? And, and the truth is that, I mean, Paul explicitly uses this language in Romans eight. He says the redemption of our bodies, not the the redemption of our essence, but like, There is this vision that God has had from the beginning that the human body, the whole human body, soul, spirit, however you slice it up based on all the theories, right? Like, like to be human is what God made us to be. Mm. So we're good in the garden, you know, in that imagery, we're very good after all creation has been made. We're those image bearers. We are the reflective love of God into the world. And we're designed for relationship with God, others, self, and the soil, mm. you know? And, and so if that's true, then we have to recapture this idea that when we say, well, let's put it this way. When we say, I'm only human, what we've actually said is, I'm less, um, you know, we've made human a negative. And, and cuts like, you're not only human, you're human. Mm. And you could be more so. You know, and that's the message of the kingdom is become more human like Jesus is more human. Mm -hmm. And my goodness, if we could capture that, this isn't a drift from Christianity. This is a a deep dive into the depths of what God wants for each of us to recognize that being human isn't a curse. Being human is the cure from the curse. And if we can capture that, of course, look, it's going to take... For all of us, it didn't, it didn't end with Jesus being crucified. He's resurrected. And there is the best picture of humanity we'll ever have is the resurrected Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and sure, for us, it's going to take a resurrection to fully discover what it means to be finally human in the deepest sense. But we have the presence of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit right now. And every day that we choose to walk and follow Jesus's teaching and 
in, in, in dynamic relationship to Jesus, every day that we do that, we're opening ourselves up to becoming more the image bearer that God has always wanted for this world. And to me, that's really good news and something that we've got to start celebrating and something we've got to start really exploring in our own spiritual, spiritual lives. Yeah. Yeah. Such good news. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Kurt, I mean, it was just drive by there, but, but even, well, and I think some of it is not even things you said explicitly, but things I'm hearing in the, um, uh, sort of in the periphery of what you're saying, because it makes me think about, just some of the stuff you said over the years and some of the other work you've done and you've been, you know, a couple of times now drive by you referenced, I mean, knowing that you've done so much work over the years with, with Paul. And I think I know enough about you to know that, I, you know, I, I don't think you'd, um, you'd be buying sort of the old line, the kind of, um, kind of false division, uh, mm-hmm. between G- between Jesus and Paul. I'm curious as to having done so much work in and with Paul over the years, how you feel like that informs this work on Jesus or if, or if mm. it informs it, or if it feels like, oh. you know, if it was more like, okay, now I'm, that you felt like you had to kind of need to clear your head a little, everything else a little bit. And I'm just thinking about Jesus or if you find that all, all the work on Paul, like popping up in different ways in how you're thinking about Jesus for this work. Oh, totally does. You know, and yeah, I, I certainly don't hold to this dichotomy that there's a rift between Jesus and Paul. I think Paul gives us handles and categories for thinking about what the gospel writers are actually trying to tell us through story, you know? And so when I think of uh, this idea of becoming fully human, Paul gives me the categories for noticing when I go to the gospels, the way Jesus is being portrayed as fully human, you know? So, so Paul will say things like, and this is a, uh, a very well-known passage, you know, it's uh, where, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And you'll go on and talk about, you know, how, how as Jesus people, we can move from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. And, Mm -hmm. and that, process of becoming more glorious like Jesus Mm -hmm. is in one sense, yeah, we become more like God, you could say, like there's that glory. But really, like if you look back in ancient texts and kind of understand what's going on in that passage, and this won't be brand new to you, I don't think, Jonathan. I mean, there's also the sense that the the glory of Adam, like the glory of humanity as we're Mm -hmm. supposed to be, you know, is is embedded in that. So for Mm -hmm. you to become one degree of glory to the next is to become one degree of human like Jesus to the next degree of human like Jesus, you know? And so to me, um, you know, you get this elsewhere where Paul uh, speaks of, I think it's Colossians where he talks about um, Jesus being the, um, you know, the, the image of the invisible God and goes on this whole thing about how Jesus is the perfect representation of God. But what you have there, I think is like a, a double edged sort of, teaching from Paul. And in one breath, you get this idea that when you see Jesus, you see what God is like, Mm -hmm. but you also get like, when you see Jesus, you see what God is like when God becomes human. Mm. And, and so you get the image of God and you get the fullness of God in one space, right? Or, Mm. or Philippians two, the famous passage where, um, Jesus has 
emptied himself of all of these divine prerogatives, so to speak. And, and uh, so, so if we know these sort of like big categories that Paul helps us with some handles for, you go to the gospels and then you can start asking really fun questions about yeah. what are the gospel writers trying to get us to see here in these stories. And um, one of my favorites, and I go into this in the book a little bit, but like one of my favorites that's kind of blown my mind in recent years is the walking on water story. Mm. I used to think, oh, there's the divinity of Jesus on display. And well, I, I don't deny that. I think, I think Mark probably, especially Mark's version, is kind of like, hey, he's more than human. It's, it's okay to notice that. I think there's some good work on why that's true. But I think there's equally good work on why this is like, no, Jesus is the kind of human who tramples the demonic sea, you know, wow. because the sea is this image of demons and evil. And yeah. so for Jesus to trample the sea is for Jesus to put on display for you and I, like something so human that it's hard for us to fathom. Mm. But what happens? Peter jumps out there with him and for a moment actually gets to experience a new level of humanity with Jesus out on the water. Mm. And, um, you know, so, so I think there's just all of these ways that if we have these helpful categories that I think Paul gives us about Jesus and about his human nature, then we can step into the gospels, not superimpose Paul there so much as to say, oh, no wonder the gospel stories tell it like this. You know, no wonder his humanity is so obvious here. And um, when we do that, I think there's a cool dance between them that just, it, it, it honestly, it lights my fire. And so, um, yeah, I hope people will see that there is a thread throughout the New Testament that wants us to know, look at Jesus, become human like him. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of our patrons. Please consider supporting the show. The Zeitcast with Jonathan Martin. We'll be right back. observation of Jesus walking on water well in general now and I think I felt I felt that at different times through the through the book is ways that it seemed like your work on Paul it was was bringing these really fresh beautiful perspectives on hmm. Jesus and you know and and that speaking to a little bit of your history and some of the, well the kind of continuity with some of the work you've done thus far I'm curious if there was anything as you were digging into this where there was any discontinuity. Was there where there's anything as you're writing this where there were any surprises? Something that as you're kind of digging into this whole idea of the humanity of Jesus, the human Christ, where you stumbled into something that uh kind of that kind of threw you off or like, wow, like that was that was that was truly unexpected. Were there any big surprises in, in writing this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And it was, uh, I'm going to give you a, a negative that became a positive, right? So I wrote, I wrote the first draft of this and 
Um, well, actually, it was probably the second draft. The first draft, my wife read, and you know, she after it was after she finished it, she did it secretly. Came to me like weeping and just like, "Oh my gosh, I love you," you know. And I was like, mm-hmm. "What? What just happened? Did I do something wrong?" <laughs> and I found out she read my whole book. Um, so she read the first first draft, which was good, but you know, isn't the same. You know how this goes. We go through many drafts. Well, sure. this the the second draft. I sent to a few um, trusted readers in my life, um, one of whom was an old seminary professor. And he, he gave me some important feedback on the way I was talking about the humanity of Jesus. And in my third chapter, which is like where I kind of cast a vision for Jesus's humanity. And um, he, he said, you know, there's, there's this, um, and he used air quotes, I think, but he's, he mentioned, you know, for some people, there's this heresy um, where, uh, you know, I've always believed that here's, I'm thinking of listeners who may not know any of this, this, uh, language and jargon. So there's this word kenosis in Paul, right? Which is this em- self-emptying word that we get in, uh, Philippians chapter two. And so a whole theory has been built around this that God, um, in Jesus kind of empties himself of these like divine privileges or prerogatives in, in a lot of ways while still remaining God in, uh, yeah, in another sense. And and so I was pretty fast and loose with how I just took that for granted. I took for granted that, um, you know, yeah, that in, in this section, um, you know, Jesus is, everything Jesus does is human because he emptied himself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I kind of highlighted miracles as evidence of his humanness, not his divinity. Mm-hmm. And, and I trying to do that. But his comment was, watch out, because some people could criticize you of something called the kenotic heresy, where, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally mess this up. I'd have to go back and really think through it. But this idea that if you're a Christian, um, because Jesus was fully operating as a human, in some sense, some people would say, like his, his divinity wasn't present at all. Mm-hmm. Others have said versions of that, that... Um, basically leads you to believe that, yeah, if you're a follower of Jesus, your goal is to be able to do literally all of the things he could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm charismatic. I know you have some Pentecostal background. So like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm all about the gifts of the spirit, Yeah. but, but I guess for some, there's this deep conversation and I'm not in that zone. I don't have those conversations. <laughs> so I was like, Oh no, did mm-hmm. I totally take Granted, something I thought was pretty normal. Like, what am I doing here? You know, and I honestly, I had to sit, I got like tons of books off the shelf and I'm just, man, I had to wrestle with that. And Mm. it came to a beautiful sort of resolution in finding a couple of books by Michael Gorman, who walks that through and really says, look, of course, Jesus emptied himself, but this is about God's nature. God's nature is to be self-giving, to be self-offering, you know? And when it finally clicked that there was a way to put this all together and to really emphasize that in Jesus's uh, kenosis and Jesus's um, chosen self-limitation, this is about God stepping in with this undeniable self-giving love. It all started to come together and it all started to make sense. I know that's kind of like a me talking out loud and abstraction. I know that's not super inspiring per se, but honestly, I was two drafts into the book and I got to the point where I was like, 
oh no, this book may collapse here. Mm. Like th- this thing might not be sound. Like I may be setting myself up just because of a blind spot, just because of a, 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 you know, something I didn't notice that I almost took for granted that I had already dealt with and it would have collapsed in on itself. And that freaked me out. I was terrified because I was, I was already like starting to get really proud of this thing that was mm-hmm. being born, you know? And, uh, and so I think I was forced to just go deep into what, what is really going on here? What's really at the core of Jesus's humanity? Did I get that perfectly? I doubt it, but I'm so hopeful that, um, yeah, that God was able to use that disorientation to, um, you know, hopefully move towards something that could be more helpful. Mm. No, I love that. I love that story. Well, and the fact, uh, well, and I, I appreciate the theological side of you in that way. And the, the kind of vulnerability of like, you know, getting that feedback from a professor and like, oh, I hope I'm not accidentally stepping into something heretical here. <laughs> need to completely, and what if this foundational idea of the book is having been ever yeah. Because I've, had, I've yeah. had a number of those moments, actually, where I thought yeah. like something was... <laughs> Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, um, in the moment it, for me, I'm just like freaking out, but I'm also like, I'm going to figure this has, there has to be a good answer. And then I'm like grabbing for answers that I think should be easy to find. And they're Mm. not, Yeah, you know, but I, I think really like, those are the kinds of things on the creative end and the spiritual end that many people don't see when books are coming into their full form. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. And it's, it, it grew me in that moment. Mm. Well, and it's, um, it's one of the things that I think though, in terms of the book and its final form that I really appreciate because I know you are such a good thinker, but it's like, you know, I kind of feel like any really great book about Jesus, it can't be too cerebral. So even though you're having to do some of the sort of more bloody intellectual uh, mm-hmm. work behind the scenes, it definitely, there's nothing clinical about what comes yeah. out on the other side, you know, because I think ultimately right. some, it, you know, these questions about Jesus and how the divinity and humanity interact, like th- these aren't science book kind of questions. And I love that mm-hmm. none of it feels like that, you know, and it doesn't, yeah. nothing does feel like there, there's some sort of, I don't know. I feel like it's always, mystery can be a cliche word now. I know sometimes, but I feel like it's never in the right sense of the word. Mystery is always preserved. And there's this Mm. kind of, you know, um, there's this way that the humanity of Jesus is accessible to us uh, and through our own humanity and other ways that Jesus is not like us. And I kind of, you know, I felt all the way that through the book, like there's Mm -hmm. reverence and wonder and also this way that Jesus becomes, more accessible because just like you share your own very human stories. And, and that's one of the things I love too, is that I feel like the way that you do that encourages us as readers to, you know, to leverage our own stories as a way to interact yeah. with the Jesus story. So this idea of like, okay, how does your story interact with the Jesus story? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And that, I mean, I think that's the, 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 the big payoff, right. Is to notice that, um, if Jesus's story is only this sort of like cerebral floaty idea thing that, um, you know, inspires me, it's interesting, or, or maybe I've checked a belief box or two off because of it. Um, if that's all, all we get, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't change much about who we are, how we are. And, and I think, I think actually finding our own story intersecting the story of Jesus, both in the gospels, but also 
the story of Jesus as it unfolds in our soul, you know, I, I think as those things come together, the the revolutionary power that I think can be released in the midst of all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of suffering is, uh, man, I, I wouldn't trade it in my own life. I just, I couldn't trade it. And so I had to, I had to just figure out a way to talk about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is like, when I look at this thing, when I look at these, what I wrote, these are, these are just what I've grown to know about Jesus through my own stuff. And, um, you know, this is what I actually think, you know, I've, I know some people come to books and they're like, Oh, but they actually probably think a, B or C, you know, there's probably more. And I'm like, nah, actually I just kind of put it all out there. I don't know. (laughs) So, um, here you are. And I also know it's imperfect, but, um, I am so, man, so grateful for the opportunity to be able to invite people to look at Jesus in fresh ways. Yes, yes. Well, you do it beautifully, my friend. I love the book so much. And where where can people get it? Where's the best place for them to buy Echoing Hope? Yeah, you know, it's probably easy to just go to echoinghope.com. There's a bunch of retailers that are listed there. I'm told, I didn't know this in publishing until I started this first book, you know, it's, it's, it's good to promote all of the retailers. So I'm going to do that. So whatever one you like, but a lot of them are just uh, linked there at echoinghope.com. There's also a bunch of bonuses I'm making. So I have 17 videos that um, are me just reflecting out loud, uh, very uncut, very chill or whatever about each individual chapter and my own process of getting published. Um, so those are available if you buy the book. Also, I'm, nearing the end for those who are like ministry leaders or Bible study leaders, I'm creating a full-blown sermon series kit to go with the book. So if a pastor or leader wants to preach through some of the themes, you'll have artwork, uh, bumper videos, sample ideas and teachings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then one other thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be filming a four to six week small group slash book study type group curriculum. So um, all that's coming and you can find that out all at echoinghope.com too. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited about, uh, I'm hope filled. Let's put it that way. I'm, I am full of hope uh, about this thing launching into the world and look forward to hearing people share their stories and um, you know, any way that I can be helpful along the way that that is such a gift. Well, it is a lovely book and I so appreciate you, uh, sharing it with the world and sharing yourself with us today, my friend, what a, what a wonderful conversation. So grateful for it. And just for you and for your work in general, Kurt, this has really been awesome. Mm. Wow. Wow. And Jonathan, I've, I've appreciated you for a very long time and uh, continue to admire what you're up to. And so thank you for hosting a conversation like this and uh, look forward to more dialogue and more uh, just good kingdom work happening. Oh, absolutely. We will do this again soon. Definitely. Thank you for joining us today on the Zeitcast with Jonathan Martin. The Zeitcast is brought to you by the generosity of our patrons. If you are enjoying this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing with a friend. We couldn't do this without you. To learn more about Jonathan and to support this podcast, visit jonathanmartinwords.com. We would love to hear from you.